So back in uh, July of 2017, I was on an eight-day Ignatian retreat, a silent eight-day Ignatian retreat, and um, we're getting a little bit of a taste of silence and just how good that is. Um, you know, I think there's been other retreats where we've actually had um, some, uh, you know, some recordings that are played during lunch, maybe those of you have, or lunch or during breakfast even, or meals. And, you know, I was thinking as we began this retreat, I thought, oh, I didn't get recordings to play during the meals. And, um, but it's, it's been just great. It's been good. It's a little bit awkward, right? A little bit awkward, um, the silence, but we need it so badly. Um, but anyway, uh, on these eight-day Ignatian retreats where it really is eight days of silence you know, and meditation uh, in the Ignatian manner, method, I met with uh, the director. The director at the time was um, Father Dennis Brown, uh, an oblate of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that's what they do, the oblates. You know, he's a member of the same congregation as uh, Father uh, Timothy Gallagher. I don't know if you've seen these books, right? So, um, yeah, Father Brown, he's a specialist in uh, these Ignatian retreats and just awesome. Uh, in fact, I think at his 27th anniversary, I think of that year, it was his 27th anniversary as a priest, I believe. And he said that, you know, he's been so involved in leading retreats that at that point in his priesthood, he had done like two funerals and three marriages and maybe three baptisms, right? So he just is very much committed, you know, doesn't have, it's just not his calling and what his, um, I mean, his calling is to lead in retreats. But anyway, um, you know, I was telling him about uh, struggles that I was having and just, you know, just in discerning what was the right thing to do, you know, and kind of second-guessing myself um, or something along those lines. And he looked at me matter-of-factly and said, life is war. And uh, that actually made me smile and chuckle because... I already had a sense of that, right? Um, but then he says, that's what the paragraph, that's what paragraph 409 says in the catechism, life is war. And so later on, I, I went and checked it for myself. Um, and so paragraphs 407 to 409, uh, the doctrine of original sin closely connected with that of redemption by Christ provides lucid discernment of man's situation and activity in the world. By our first parent's sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. Original sin entails captivity under the power of him who thenceforth had the power of death, that is, the devil. Ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. Paragraph 408. The consequences of original sin and of all men's personal sins put the world as a whole in the sinful condition aptly described in St. John's expression, the sin of the world. This expression can also refer to the negative influence exerted on people 
by communal situations and social structures that are the fruit of men's sins. And he continues, or the catechism continues, rather, 409. This dramatic situation of the whole world, which is in the power of the evil one, makes man's life a battle. The whole of man's history has been the story of dour combat with the powers of evil, stretching, so our Lord tells us, from the very dawn of history until the last day. Finding himself in the midst of the battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right, and it is at great cost to him, and aided by God's grace that he succeeds in achieving his own inner integrity. You know, and so I guess what I appreciated about Father Brown's comment was just, you know, just acknowledging that, that we are in a battle. You know, it's important for us to, to do that, you know, that we have an enemy who, again, as, I, as we know and I indicated earlier, that is trying to heap lies on us and, and get us to think that we can't trust our Father and that, um, that we can't give our hearts, we can't give our lives to God the Father because we will be let down or he's holding our true good. He doesn't really want our true good. Um, he's keeping something from us. You know, all of this was present at the, um, yeah, I guess, the first temptation. Um, and then during the same retreat, there was another instance where um, I was just saying how the enemy was relentless you know, in his attacks. And he said, life is short, might as well duke it out. <laughs> so, so it just, you know, and that made me laugh too. So, but it just presents, you know, we're not, obviously, we're, we're not in an ideal world. And there's going to be battles and we're going to have skirmishes and, um, you know, the thing is, though, that the more we experience victory, and so this is important for us, you know, especially as we experience temptation. And why would God allow temptation? You know, why does he allow us to be tempted? So that we can experience victory. You know, he, Jesus won the greatest victory of sin over, over sin and death. And so every time that, that, that we, have, we're experience, we experience um, trial, we get to also experience victory. You know, uh, I should say trial um, at the hands of the, of the enemy or temptations. Um, and, yeah, we fall. Um, we, and, and hopefully in the process and by God's grace, we, we learn something from it, like how we got into that place in the first place and, and um, you know, what was enticing to us, what, you know, what drew us in. Um, uh, you know, sure, we, we learn from those things. But the ironic thing is that the enemy's attacks will be the means to our growing in holiness. And uh, just as victory, um, just as his victory over the Son of God put to death, um, who was put to, get, put to death, um, really led to the greatest victory of all. And, um, you know, and so... Uh, the greatest victory that humanity and the whole world, the whole universe has ever known. A resurrection. A resurrection. So, and that is the greatest victory. You put all the 
battles ever won, all the athletic contests ever won. Put them all together, and they don't make one resurrection. So that's what we stand in. You know, we stand in the power of the resurrection. We stand in um, the grace that's come to us as a result of that. Um, uh, in particular, the Holy Spirit. And, and so you and I are, brothers and sisters, other Christs, particularly through our baptism. And, um, but it is important to acknowledge you know, that um, you know, where, where the enemy has, has taken his shots and had some level of victory on us. But, um, but it's also important for us just to, as we, as we recognize those, to close the doors and close the windows to uh, his influence. I mean, he's going to keep attacking, but, you know, to the ways that, but closing the doors to the ways that we have allowed him in in the past and just reclaiming our territory. And that's really all laid out in many more words than that uh, in this book, Unbound, A Practical Guide to Deliverance, okay, by Neil Lozano. Uh, this this book was just just uh, just about as powerful as the Be Healed book for me. Um, it's actually the book that I read before the Be Healed book. But um, so Neil Lozano talks about certain entry points, uh, and I'm not going to go through all of these. But I invite you just to read his book. Okay, certain entry, common entry points. Okay, one would be response to trauma. And he says this, The things buried in darkness have the greatest influence on us. The things we have never told anyone. The things we have not processed in light of God's love for us. So response to trauma. Another is involvement, involvement in the occult. Satanism, witchcraft, seances, Ouija boards, mediums, astrology, tarot cards, palm reading, any attempt to communicate with or conjure up spirits, etc. Um, so involvement in the occult. Self-inflicted curses or pacts with the enemy uh, would be another entry point. Circumstances of birth could be another. Associations and environment, so friends and the forms of entertainment that we welcome into our lives. Uh, he says also willful sins and family sins. Okay, so, um, and as I say all that, that is a huge can of worms, you know, and I'm not intending at all to go through all of those things, but but I think um, if any of those things resonates in your heart, I really, you know, just ask, just bring that to the Lord. Just Talk to him about it. Tell him about it. You know, and if it puts on puts it on your if he puts it on your heart to, you know, to bring that to confession, or to to bring it into deeper prayer if it's really a response to trauma or something of that nature, any of the things I mentioned, you know, what does he bring to mind? Okay, then just bring it to him, bring it to him. Tell him about it. But anyway. Uh, Neil Lozano comes up with he comes up with five keys or uh, says there's five keys to unlocking the do- door to freedom. And what he basically the image is that you have a door that has 
five locks on it. And he's saying that you have to unlock each of these locks in order to experience freedom. And uh, so I'm just going to go through these five keys. The five keys are repentance and faith, um, forgiveness, uh, renunciation, taking authority, and then the Father's blessing. Okay? So repentance and faith, forgiveness, renunciation, taking authority, and the Father's blessing. So just looking at that first key, repentance and faith, and you know, I don't think that he quotes Father Gabriel Amorth, uh, this chief exorcist in Rome who has since passed away, but um, he was... It's just there are several books out by him, and um, you know, he's quoted as saying that the devil fears one good fesh- one good confession more than anything else. The devil fears one good confession more than anything else. Um, and so, obviously, he's speaking of sacramental confession, but it also gives us an indication as to why this first key is so important. You know that we repent of our sins. Uh, in faith, you know, you know, having at least some recognition that the Lord is a loving Father who's going to forgive us of those sins. But owning up to them and letting the light of day, letting the light of God shine on it, um, you know, makes our hearts all the more open to receive His love, to receive God's love. Neil Lozano in his uh, on page 65 says this regarding pride. You know, he says, pride gets in the way. I'm sorry. I'm summarizing. Pride gets in the way of our receiving that infinite love of God in our hearts. And, and he puts it very succinctly, you know, page 65 in this book. He says, pride seeks to place us in control to resist our dependency on God. We would rather be in control than be intimate. And I have to tell you, that one sentence right there is probably a life, could be a lifetime of reflection for me and maybe many others. Um, we would rather be in control than be intimate. You know, okay, so let's, let's look at this, though, from the perspective of um, you know, not beating ourselves up if we sense that that's at work, okay? Understanding that it's rooted in because our sins, Dr. Bob points us out that our sins are deadly sins, pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, uh, sloth. Um, uh, All of them are really just the bad fruit of the wounds that have been inflicted upon us or that we have inflicted upon ourselves. Okay, so, uh, but anyway, it's definitely worth uh, pondering. You know, we would rather be in control than be intimate. That that control, as I said, comes from, yeah, a wound of the heart where we're we're feeling like, you know, the rug's been pulled out from under us and where am I going to turn? And, you know, I have to protect my own heart. It's just logical. No one else is doing it for me. Um, And so, but... In the meantime, we get prideful. There's an ungodly self-reliance in that. Ungodly self-reliance, right? 
So we pretend to be better than we are, he says. We act religious and holy, but we know what, that what is going on inside is a different story. And he refers to the parable of the prodigal son. He says, the older brother detests weakness and boasts of strength. He says, brokenness and desperation are not valued. Brokenness and desperation are not valued, but looking good and success are. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that the poor in spirit, those who mourn and those who are hungry and thirsty are blessed. The older brother thinks he is never supposed to be weak. Okay, and so we can, I know I can for myself, uh, uh, see ways in which I've um, come into agreement with that. The second key is forgiveness. Matthew 18, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times, and we know the answer. Not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times, 70 times. The book of Sirach, uh, verse 27, I'm sorry, chapter 27, uh, to chapter 28, says this. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. The vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance, for he remembers their sins in detail. Forgive your neighbor's injustice. Then, when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Sounds like the Our Father, right? Should a man nourish anger against his fellows and expect healing from the Lord? If he who is but flesh cherishes wrath, who will forgive his sins? Remember your last day remember your last days, set enmity aside, remember death and decay, and cease from sin. Think of the commandments, hate not your neighbor, of the most high's covenant, and overlook faults. So that's Sir Sirach um, twenty seven and twenty eight. <clears throat> you know, the uh, Dr. Bob and, and I think you know, we—I I don't doubt that all of us have a great sense um, of the importance of forgiveness. You know, forgiving others. Um, just you know, in conversations that I've had with some of you, it, it's just very clear that many of us. Yeah, but I mean, if it isn't something that we deem as important, then we bring that to the Lord. You know, and especially if we don't feel like forgiving, you know. Uh, forgiving is actually in the will. We have to keep in mind, too, that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things, right? Where I can forgive someone, but they may not have owned up to how they have hurt my heart or they haven't been accountable. Um, so, but forgiving is really just handing over judgment of that person to God. Right. And 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 so then surrendering to the Lord on the whole reconciliation process. I mean, it it could be the case that it could be very harmful to us, actually. You know, after forgiving someone to try and go and and force some kind of reconciliation, you know, that could be harmful. It could be. um, But. You know, and that too, we want the Lord to lead in that because, um, anyway, Dr. Bob in his book, Be Healed, 
you know, he has this, he tells this awesome story on page 98 where um, he, t- you know, and, and his, his point is, you know, that the, uh, that physical healing can very, is very much tied to um, spiritual healing. Uh, I mean, it can come out that way, physical healing. Um, and, and that the Lord wants the, the healing of the whole person. Uh, but anyway, he talks about this gal, Anna, uh, whose right leg was about eight inches shorter than her left leg. She was in an accident when she was younger. He's um, talking to this gal in Brazil on a mission trip to Brazil. And she, uh, through an interpreter, relates to him this story. You know, um, And he says here, When I asked Anna if she had forgiven the man who hit her with the car... Tears streamed down her cheeks. She shook her head and then spoke some words in Portuguese that I did not understand. The interpreter simply translated, She said, No, she can't forgive him because it would hurt too much. I was amazed at this young girl's insight, recognizing that she was holding on to bitterness to protect her from suffering her deeper pain. With that confirmation, I grew even more hopeful that we would see a miraculous healing. Through my interpreter, I encouraged Anna, I believe your leg will be healed if you forgive this man. Then I added, Jesus will take away your pain, too. This bold step of faith could have been presumptuous, but I felt unusually confident in God in that moment, as supernatural gifts of wisdom and faith were flowing freely from the Holy Spirit. While the interpreter was translating what I said, I was holding Anna's right ankle in my left hand. As soon as Anna pronounced the words of forgiveness, I felt her leg release the full eight inches in my hand, reaching normal length. And they began praising Jesus for for her healing. You know, and he points out, you know, that is it really unfair for for her unforgiveness to be even considered a sin, you know, given what she had been through. Um, But in the Lord's eyes, that's, that was the key to not just her leg being healed, but uh, a a deep emotional and spiritual healing as well. You know, and I think, um, you know, too, we have to acknowledge that there sometimes, as I said earlier, we're not, in the place to wanting to forgive, you know, we bring that to the Lord. Um, maybe we, um, you know, and, and let me sorry, get a little bit mixed up here. So, in his book, Lozano gives reasons why we don't forgive. He says one is lack of faith. One is lack of want or desire to forgive. Another is lack of awareness of deep wounds, a desire for revenge, fear, pride, failure to take responsibility, influence of evil spirits, or lack of understanding of our forgiveness. So that's yeah, page 71 to 75. He goes through those. 
you know, just looking at that one lack of want or desire, you know, I, I think that's a pretty common thing. I know I've experienced that, and, you know, you, how do I forgive this person? They've hurt me pretty badly, um, or very badly, as the case may be. And and so then you, I, you know, I've heard it said that, well, that in that case, you ask the Lord for the will to forgive, Right? And just tell him where we're at. It's always about being real honest with where we're at. Being real honest where our heart's at. If I'm not ready to forgive, then I say that. Jesus, I'm not ready to forgive. I want to be ready to forgive, but I'm not ready to forgive. Um, or, I, Lord, please give me the will to forgive. Or even, <laughs> give me the will to will to forgive, right? So, it, the point is just being real honest with where we're at and asking him for help in that process. Um, and there's also the importance of, of forgiving oneself, okay? Because, you know, the enemy, the, the name Satan means accuser. So he wants to just keep accusing us. You know, and we get caught in that where... You know, he wants those opportunities over and over again, and so um, uh, and then if he can get us to be just accusing ourselves and not so then we're all the more distracted from the father's love, how God just wants to pour out his mercy upon us and um, so forgiving oneself is is important uh so this is what he says about forgiving oneself, page 86. He says, To forgive yourself is simply a declaration that you are in agreement with God, that you will not hold yourself to higher standards than God, and you will not demand of yourself more than he does. We forgive ourselves the same way God does, on the basis of the mercy poured out in Jesus. We know we have forgiven when we begin to realize that the person who has offended us is really a source of blessing. Okay? We allow that to happen in God's time. It's, if we're not in that place where we don't um, see them as a source of blessing, then it's okay. It's just, he's saying that's one of the signs um, uh, or if we can, if we can, um, he says here, if God gives us the gift of gratitude, you know, in the same way, forgiving ourselves allows us to appreciate um, who we are and how God made us. Okay, in case you haven't seen enough books yet, okay, there's the Unbound Ministry Guidebook, all right? Unbound Ministry Guidebook, Helping Others Find Freedom in Christ. So it's a companion to this Unbound book. But there's one paragraph in there that just stood out to me as well regarding um, you know, the way he talks about it, recognizing self-justification, okay? So thinking of pride and self-reliance, being our own savior, okay? 
That's what he's getting at here. And this is what he says on page 89 in that Unbound Ministry Guidebook. He says, As you can see, self-justification sometimes shows up as striving, but at other times it is recognized by the inability to forgive oneself. Many people believe firmly that God has forgiven them, but they cannot forgive themselves. They may say, How could I have been so stupid? Or I can't believe I did that. This, too, is self-justification. Okay, so as I yeah, say that, don't... Okay, we're not going to accuse ourselves here, but just if it rings true, it rings true. All right? This, too, is self-justification. This self-justification comes from the pride that wants to be good enough to be deserving rather than forgiven and loved. The self-justification comes from the pride that wants to be good enough to be deserving rather than forgiven and loved. That resonates with me. Uh, There's this, you may have heard this song by Matthew West um, called Forgiveness. There's the refrain over and over, forgiveness. And the last stanza is this. It'll clear the bitterness away. It can even set a prisoner free. There's no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. Forgiveness. And I'll, I'll just say some of the powerful, yeah, I think I'll just share a little bit of the, uh, um, so I told you a little bit about, about my dad's, um, um, you know, about how he would be, uh, he could be intimidating and um, not very affectionate, um, could really put a lot of pressure on us as kids. And um, after I had gotten a degree in engineering at the university, uh, which he and my mother had paid for, they paid for my college, um, that's when I decided I was going into the seminary. And he wasn't a big fan of that idea. Um, after having paid for college, he was like, you know, you should go out and get a job, and if that doesn't work, then go try the seminary then. And I, I, my point then was, Dad, I have to try it now. This is a natural transition. And I, what, my heart was not into engineering. My heart was more into philosophy and theology. And, and so um, there was a lot of tension for like two years when I was in the seminary where I didn't even want to go home. I, I was just, I felt tension. It was just painful to go home. And uh, he wasn't a big idea and made it pretty clear uh, by, um, you know, just not taking interest or not asking me about how the seminary was going or, you know, I think you get the idea. But then at some point, my mom uh, tells me not too long ago, what the change was, and he came on board, and he was one of my biggest supporters. He and my mother were biggest supporters, biggest supporters of going into the seminary, me going into the seminary, and becoming a priest. And uh, uh, so after I was ordained a priest, I was at St. Peter's, the parish I'm at now. I was there for two years as an assistant from 97 to 99. 
And at the end of that, I was being sent to Rome to study canon law. And, uh, but as I was packing things up and getting ready to go to Rome, my dad, uh, I was in my parents' house, and my dad um, came into the bedroom. And I just, I just remember such peace. I remember tenderness and gentleness and peace. That's how I would describe it. And, uh, you know, and he said, son, I'm sorry for the things I said to you. Will you forgive me? And, you know, I, at that time I said, yeah, dad. I said, dad, I've already, I forgave you a long time ago. But eh, I don't know. Uh, I look back on that time, and I'm not sure if that was really entirely true. To some degree, yes. I was, very, I was very happy with how things had turned. And I was grateful for that. But, um, you know, I, and so I'm grateful for his, just his humility and his, um, his goodness in that. So I, you know, I, I understand the power of forgiveness, you know, as we do, knowing it coming from God and, you know, and from others. You know, I, I, and so I just praise God for that experience of, of my dad just saying that to me. You know, just having the humility, I'm just going to say the manhood to say that to me. And, um, uh, and then it was um, not too long after that, probably about five, six months later, that he, he started getting weakness in his left arm and eventually it was discovered that he had ALS and, and, and died in 2001. Um, but I, yeah, I praise God, like I said, for that experience. And um, it, was, it was profound. Uh, this third key, renunciation. And that's just identifying the lies. That's identifying the lies we were talking about earlier. Lies and judgments and just renouncing them in the name of Jesus. Um, so, but renouncing them, it's pretty simple. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that... Um, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that my dad did not love me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I have to take care of my own heart. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I have to measure up and I have to be good enough to receive love. Um, you know, so, and also spirits. In the name of Jesus, you could just go through the, the seven deadly sins. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of pride. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of um, avarice or greed. Um, you know, and just and again, as I said earlier, I'm learning what that list is within my own life and trying to help others to know what lies they need to renounce as well. Okay, so renouncing the lies and judgments in the name of Jesus. And it has to be spoken out loud. Okay, so spoken out loud because, you know, the, the enemy and evil spirits cannot read our thoughts. They can't read our thoughts. They're the world's best um, educated guessers based on our behavior, 
in our past actions and thought and our words and so on and so forth, but they can't know our thoughts. So it must be spoken out loud, and even under the, even if it's just under the breath, under our breath. Okay. So and then the fourth key is authority, and we just basically take all these lies and judgments and spirits we've just renounced, and we command them to leave by our own authority, by the by the name of Jesus and by the authority that he has given us, okay? So in the name of Jesus, I break the power of every lie, judgment, and spirit I have just renounced, and I command it to leave right now. Okay? And then the Father's blessing. We just ask the Father to bless us in the name of Jesus. Okay? And... um, Sometimes that can be helpful just to you know to have somebody yeah, well in the unbound model there's a team that does, leads you through these five keys but you know we can we can use these same principles just in our daily life um, after going through those four keys and then saying father could you please just bless my heart right now could you please just fill my heart with what i am needing and just replace everything that I've just renounced with with truth. So these are the five keys that Neil talks about. Uh, The Discernment of Spirits, this book I just held up earlier. Um, This is another great one. Uh, The information in this book, I think, is just fundamental for every Christian. Um, The first time I read it was probably seven or eight years ago. And I wondered where it was in the seminary. You know, I would have liked to have that in the seminary. Um, he's also got, you can check out his podcasts on discerninghearts.com, I think it is. Um, but uh, he's got a series of talks on that, the discernment of spirits. Why do I say discernment of spirits? Because the, this Ignatian recognition of, you know, how Ignatius recognized where there's, there's, a good spirit or an evil spirit, a good spirit or bad spirit at work. And so, and this is part of the battle, you know. It's not just those five keys, but it's also um, discerning, what, you know, what's affecting me right now. You know, understanding, acknowledging what's there is the first step. Okay, am I, what am I feeling in my heart right now? Am I feeling fear? Am I feeling... Um, uh, anxiety, um, anger, what is it? Acknowledge, and then so acknowledging it, and then also um, understanding where it's coming from. Okay, where is this coming from? Is this from the Lord? Is it upbuilding and consoling, or is it accusatory? Um, is it trying to get me to, is this thought trying to get me to do something that I. Uh, no is wrong. I mean, it could be your conscience too. I mean, just, but the being under, first of all, being aware. Okay. Three steps here. Be aware, understand whether the inspiration is from God or from me or from the enemy. Okay. And sometimes we, we have to ask somebody, you know, maybe, you know, something that's come coming to mind. Um, sometimes it's helpful to get you know, some advice from a, a spiritual director, a priest, or somebody we can trust. Third is just simply to act on it, accept or reject based on where it's coming from. 
you know, I think the I think the the major, in my mind anyway, the major th- truth that Father Gallagher helped me with in that is just to understand that our Christian lives are a fluctuation between consolation and desolation, where we are kind of on, you know, we're experiencing this wave, if you will, where at times in our lives we're experiencing consolation. Other times we're experiencing desolation. And to understand that this is part, of, this is a normal part of the Christian life. And also to understand that desolation is always to be rejected, is always to be prayed against or or just just rejected um, and uh, but uh, you know it's important for us to understand that because sometimes we think that the desolation is just because of because I'm a bad person or God wants to punish me or whatever the case may be and that's just not true we we um, uh, we need guidance in that though um, and so Father Gallagher goes through these 14 rules of St. Ignatius that help us discern, okay, discern those spirits. Okay, if we could just close with going through these five keys just briefly. We're not going to take a lot of time, okay? Um, But if we could just... Okay, as a group... So when I, uh, I'll lead you, the first key will just be um, Jesus, you know, I am sorry, okay, for, I mean, if there's something that comes to mind, um, if there's something the Lord brings to mind, so Lord, right now I just ask you to uh, bring to mind for us if there's anything you want us to repent of. And so we can we can say, you just say it in, under your breath, but we'll say it out, out loud here. Jesus, I am sorry for, and then just fill in the blank. Just fill in the blank, okay? Jesus, I am sorry for... You just, whatever the first thing is that comes to mind there. Okay. So the second key would just be uh, forgiveness. So, Lord, we're asking you to reveal for us who you want us to forgive. Is there someone in our lives that you want us to forgive? Okay, so then we will say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive, and fill in the blank. Okay, just under your breath. In the name of Jesus, I forgive. And just go ahead and say the name under your breath. Okay, and if you want to just repeat after me as we'll renounce 
just what's coming to mind for me, okay? In the name of Jesus, I renounce a spirit of pride. In the name of Jesus, I renounce a spirit of unforgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that the Father does not love me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am unlovable. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-hatred. And let me just say, if it doesn't resonate with you, then you don't have to say it, okay? I should have said that beginning at the beginning. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I have to do it all myself. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-righteousness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of judgment. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of perfectionism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of scrupulosity. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of ingratitude. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anger. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of bitterness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of lust. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of gluttony. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of sloth. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of envy. Okay, in the name of Jesus, we're going to take authority here. In the name of Jesus, I break the power. Go ahead. I break the power of every lie, judgment, and spirit. I have just renounced, and I command it to leave right now, and to be placed at the foot of the cross and to be judged by the precious blood of Jesus. And I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you for these beloved children of yours, and I pray that you would just fill their hearts with your love. Heavenly Father, they desire to know your love in an intense way. And uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just fill them up all the more with your spirit. Set them on fire. Fill them with joy they have never known. 
Heavenly Father, you just uh, gaze upon them with nothing but compassion. And you have nothing but compassion in your heart for them. And I just pray, Lord, that they would just experience that, that they would just know that in their mind, heart, soul, and body. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.